From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. What if you're a surgeon and have a great idea for an innovation in your field? What if you want to become a surgeon entrepreneur? My guest today is Thomas Rock Mackey, a UW-Madison professor emeritus of medical physics and engineering physics. Dr. Mackey is a leading member of Madison's biotechnology sector, where he's been a researcher, innovator, entrepreneur, and investor. He's a founder of Geometrics and Tomotherapy, both incubated at UW Health, has invested in and conducted research for Shine Medical Technologies, and has invested in Wisconsin Brewing and many more local companies. Before and during his long career in company building and investing, Dr. Mackey was a faculty member at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in medical physics and human oncology. He began as an assistant professor in 1989 and concluded his academic career as a professor in 2011. He grew up in Saskatoon and received his undergraduate degree in physics from the University of Saskatchewan in 1980. He went on to earn his doctorate in physics at the University of Alberta in 1984. Dr. Mackey's career has been focused on planning and delivery of radiation therapy to cancer patients. His group developed the 3D treatment planning system that became the Philips Pinnacle Treatment Planning System, the most widely used radiation therapy treatment planning system in the world. His group was also the developer of tomotherapy, which is the marriage of a linear accelerator and a CT scanner. More recently, Rock has been active in development of a compact proton therapy machine for treating cancer. We talked about his origins as a socialist in Saskatoon and how that turned into becoming a titan of private industry and UW Health's chief innovation officer, where he leads the Isthmus Project, bridging the gap between academic medicine and the medical industry. Dr. Mackey, welcome to the surgery set. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here after a great Grand Rounds talk. Thank you. I was fascinated by your your origin story and and how you've gone from... uh, an academic and an innovator, to an entrepreneur, um, to now someone who is helping everyone else around here think about entrepreneurship in a new way. Could you sort of introduce us to your trajectory? Sure. So, so I'm a Canadian. I, I grew up in uh, Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan was the home of the, uh, the first socialist party uh, in, uh, in the country, and, and I was a good member of the New Democratic Party, which is the, so, the, the socialist party. My father was a union uh, steward. He was a, a high school teacher. So I came from a, quite a different background, I would say, than, a, than your standard entrepreneur. I uh, came to the University of Wisconsin in 1987 uh, because it has, has the best medical physics program in the world, and I was uh, honored to, to be uh, accepted uh, here. I was very interested in, uh, in the technology that, that I'd been working on in, inside the inside my research lab, and uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, it got out uh, helping patients. So I feel like uh, having a a purely humanitarian motive. So I I started a company in 1992 called Geometrics, not because I wanted to make money, but because uh, some of the programmers that were in my group that had developed a radiation therapy treatment planning system specialized for stereotactic radiosurgery were uh, getting laid off. And the reason they're getting laid off was a bit ironic. So we had developed a system to, for use at the University of Wisconsin, 
And being, I guess, a good socialist, we tried to give it, or I tried to give it away. Our group tried to give it away. Uh, so we had six clinics that uh, came for a workshop to understand how the treatment planning system worked. And then we sent them home with copies of the software to implement at their home place. And the FDA found out that uh, we were doing that. And up until that point, software that had been written wasn't considered a medical device. And the FDA uh, then changed their mind and said, it, not right at the moment, but in a few years, you'll have to get a 510K clearance before you can use medical software of this type anyway that, that involves uh, radiation therapy treatment planning with uh, CT scans and MR scans. And so we were really forced to start the first company, uh, both to get the technology um, into the marketplace to help patients, but also because the core programming staff was getting laid off. Your story sounds sort of like the problem of innovation in medicine writ small, right? I mean, like, we come up through medicine sort of purposely divorced from capitalistic profit motives, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we're we're all in this because we want to help mm-hmm. patients or hopefully that's the reason most of us are here. Right. Um, and, you know, we want to be able to feed our families and send our kids to college, but it's, you know, we're not in this to maximize our revenue and the medical system is sort of built up around this notion of, or at least academic medicine, sharing information freely. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is that to do some of the things we want to do for altruistic purposes, we need to, engage the the capitalistic markets, engage industry. You sort of made this point in your talk. There's no shame in that, you know, but I think we've we've maybe been programmed to think that there there is. Yes, we have. So uh, unfortunately, we do live, or fortunately, we do live in a capitalistic society. And if you need to raise a lot of money, uh, the only way to do it is in the capital markets. So uh, there aren't, um, you know, large social capital uh, venture funds that will fund medicine, at least not at this point. Yeah. Uh, so, so the, the the only the only thing you can do is to start a company for the very costly uh, approval process that uh, that's required uh, for for safe medicine for approval of, of of medicine in a safe and effective way. And you got a, a taste of that with your first company, and, and then I guess that, it tasted good because you you went on to form a few more. Yeah. So so then the second so in parallel with that company, we started a. We had an idea called tomotherapy, which is uh, to uh, deliver uh, highly modulated, intensely modulated beams of radiation that could sculpt the radiation dose uh, to the tumor and spare normal tissue as well as possible, really enabled by the first company. It required a lot of uh, investment. So we went to General Electric as a university project for GE to fund it. And then GE would have been licensed the technology from the UW. And unfortunately, that contract only lasted three years, and GE decided to get out of the field of radiation therapy. So again, we got left high and dry. At that point, it wasn't a couple of people that were laid off, but I had 20 people in my group, so I had one of the larger groups uh, in, the, in the med school, and uh, they would have all lost their source of funding. Uh, I had a small grant, but uh, most of the money was coming from GE. So we had to start again, a company. We were forced to start a company in order to get the technology out. And uh, this time, Wharf stepped up and, um, and helped uh, in the, in the uh, interim between raising or starting a company and raising the money. And it took a long time. This was uh, the period of 1997 through 1999 when 
there was the famous dot com bubble. So was version bet- one, yeah. version one, yeah, yeah, version one. We're in version two now, but version one was about uh, was was just at its height, and so no one wanted to, to fund large capital medical equipment. Yeah, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't, it wasn't just software anymore. Now they were talking about building machines, building machines, yeah. and and, uh, and and of course the machines were expensive. They you know were sold for about between two and a half and three million dollars a piece. So again, it was it was risky. But the company did did very well and uh, and ended up going public in 2007. It was the largest spinoff of the University of Wisconsin. It still is. It was nearly a unicorn. It was a $960 million uh, IPO. Wow. And the, the stock actually went to $1.2 billion at some point. And then the recession hit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway. And now you have taken... Your experience, your experience building these companies, taking them public, and having done so, I mean, with a big IPO, you now have a, a windowless office in UW Health. Uh, that, <laughs> yes, uh, why would I do that? <laughs> that, is, that is seeking to help others. Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, no, I, I, I retired from the university in 2012. I retired from the Mortgage Institute. I went from the university to mortgage for a while, for five years. And then I re- retired from mortgage in 2014 and, and basically started a quick succession of uh, three companies with technology, at least partly derived from my experience at mortgage. I retired to become a, a business person and, and an investor. I still have a soft spot for the university. So I ended up probably talking to most of the academic founders of companies in that interim between you know 2014 and well, even before I was talking to to, to many, many people and giving them my experience. Just as a friendly... Oh, over coffee, yeah, over coffee or lunch. I, I, I would get paid coffee and lunch for my advice. Occasionally, I invested in some of them as well. You know, I have a passion for, again, getting, I guess maybe it's my socialist uh, uh, upbringing, but a passion to help help others, uh, even in this area, uh, without taking any any money for it. And UW Health said, you know, we really want to start start this innovation program so I thought, you know what, I can actually get, as a part-time job, I can get paid for it as well. So, so I meet now regularly with medical entrepreneurs, academics who are trying to, to get their technology out into the marketplace. And in fact, it's been extremely rewarding. I, I guess I shouldn't say this in the podcast, but you know, they probably wouldn't have to pay me to do this job. <laughs> <laughs> and I certainly don't need the money, but it's fun, it's fun to do it as well. However, at some point, I would do want to get back to being a retired Entrepreneur, or at least a retired academic, and go back to being a full-time entrepreneur investor. So we are actually recruiting for uh, a director of the Ismuth Project, and I'll stay on uh, to help them for the next uh, year or so. And uh, I'll we'll get back to my uh, academic uh, or non-academic position, and maybe have an office with a window again. Wonderful. Yeah. So you <laughs> you basically you're you're doing the startup phase of the Isthmus project. Exactly. It, exactly. It exactly. So so I'm actually pretty good at at the startup phase yeah. of companies and I, and in a way, you know, there's a value proposition I have to create for the Isthmus project and so I, I think I'm doing a pretty good job, but long term you want somebody younger than me or younger than I feel and uh, could be even older, but as long as they feel younger than me to lead it full-time instead of part-time. Can you talk a little bit about the Isthmus Project? It's, it's got a great name. I mean, obviously, Madison, the only state capital on an Isthmus, but it's also, it's a bridge, right? Yes, and, yeah. and I was really struck by the number of bridges that you need or can have in a large institution like this. I mean, it's not like 
there's the medical school and there's UW Health, which is our healthcare entity. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are countless schools and programs that are designed or increasingly focused on developing innovation here. There is, there is. Yeah, no, we, we have actually a very good uh, innovation culture. We have uh, the, the D2P program, which is Discovery to Product uh, program that's run in Central Campus. It's, uh, I would call it an incubator as opposed to an accelerator. Incubator being you, you uh, teach entrepreneurship commercialization, but you don't actually fund projects, whereas an accelerator actually adds uh, some cash to help start a company. So the, the Ismuth project is, a, is an accelerator. We, we are, are willing to add, add uh, dollars for return of equity, whereas um, D2P running on the main campus uh, isn't able to give to, to incubate after a company is formed or accelerate after a company is formed. And so that, that's how we're really different than, than D2P is that, that UW Health can take equity in startup companies whereas the UW can't. But in terms of the business education, entrepreneurial education, we'll refer our projects to D2P. Uh, we don't want to compete uh, in that, in general business education. You know, there's lots of things that we have to teach the specialty of medicine, like the, all the regulatory aspects, how you get paid for your product, um, you know, the, uh, the reimbursement picture, and how that's changing to really from one of fee-for-service to one in which um, you have capitated um, income and therefore, really, the the future is about how you save healthcare money rather than how you how a system makes money. There's lots of very specialty things that, uh, and all of the the uh, issues around um, the relationship of industry uh, and academic medicine is important because most companies will need to pioneer their products inside a healthcare system if they've come from outside a healthcare system. If this university or this this healthcare system wants to be innovative, you know we have to have a welcoming place for for new companies as well, even if they're not created from within, uh, so that we can offer uh, the latest in in medical technology. Of course, we have to vet it and make sure that it's going to help our patients. Um, and so it's that process of, you know, becoming um, an early adopter. I think is important for creating a. An uh, innovative culture here. You act as a nexus, then. Say, I, as a assistant professor of surgery, have a great idea, and maybe I have one. We'll talk offline. But um, the, <laughs> yeah, don't uh, disclose yes, it here. I'm not disclosing it here for <laughs> potential patent purposes. Watch this space. Say, I have an idea. I, I come and meet with you. What's the What's the process? So, so the first, so our first conversation is about the problem you're trying to solve, and whether or not the problem is an important problem. You know, we've had uh, projects that come in and say, I think I have an idea for a drug which, which will, will uh, treat, uh, treat something that has actually no treatment today. And so that's, that's fantastic when somebody comes in and yeah. says, I mean, that's a large problem. If you can, if you can for example, eliminate a disease, that's, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, we actually have had a, a couple of, uh, of those, um, those disclosures. Then the next thing is, what's your solution? So, so, the, so what's the problem? Is it big enough? And what's the solution? Is it good enough? And the way you test it is you talk to, uh, well, actually, before you talk to anybody at that point, if you have a solution, you should go and get patent protection. So you shouldn't talk to anybody uh, if you have a solution to, uh, you want to control it. You know, there's, uh, there's some things that are probably so big, you probably should just disclose. 
uh, if they don't require a lot of effort to get to the marketplace. But, um, but most things will require patent or some sort of protection in order to get an investment because mm. uh, um, it it's expensive to get a product to marketplace and investors will want to be assured that their efforts uh, can't be circumvented by somebody else just walking in after them. Yeah. So you generally will need, uh, a startup company will need an exclusive license to a new technology. Existing companies don't actually. Existing companies can often be are satisfied with a non-exclusive and, and therefore less, a less costly uh, patent license because they, they feel that their marketing is so, is so good they don't need, to, they don't need an exclusive. But right. mo- most startups need an exclusive or should have an exclusive. So you have to protect, and then you have to talk to a whole bunch of customers. And so in our case, you have to talk to a whole bunch of uh, physicians or nurses uh, or users of the product in a lot of healthcare systems, both big and small, both academic and non-academic, to see if there's actually a commercial interest. And if there's not a commercial interest, then, uh, then you probably haven't solved the problem correctly. Then if you think you've, you've done that well, then you need to go and find investors. And if you can't find investors, then you probably haven't solved a big enough problem. And is that something that the Isthmus Project would do? I mean, if I had an idea, I wouldn't know who to call and say, yeah, so we can some money. So, so what, we, what we generally start is we do a, what I call a top-down analysis. So, so by, by just uh, you know, looking at statistics, we can find out how many patients suffer from this disease, how many, what are, are the existing treatments, uh, what do they cost. And so we can do an analysis of the market. We can do a patent search. We can help with a patent search. You know, we'll often disclose to WARF, even if you don't have to go to the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation, which is our tech transfer organization uh, under federal law. If, if the federal government funds it, you have to take it to our designated patent office. But University of Wisconsin actually has a – it's kind of unique in universities. It doesn't take a work-for-hire position. So the people who invent things here actually own their inventions and only need to take it to the tech transfer office, WARF, if uh, if they've got federal funds that that help to invent it, yeah, it's a pretty unique thing about us. Actually, it's very yeah. unique. Yeah, it's it's almost completely. I mean, I think there's only a couple of others in the world that, that adopt the same policy. Yeah. So, on the other hand, they're very helpful, as I understand it, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, Warf, so Warf says Warf's also the oldest tech transfer agency in the in the world. It was started in 1925, and and they've built up a very large endowment. So that makes them. Uh, Factor endowment is, is approaching three billion dollars, that allows them to uh, defend their patents vigorously. So it's a, so it's a unique environment we have at Wisconsin. Yeah, and it's a it's so great to have someone who's sort of navigated that path on every side, right? Like yeah. from the business side, from the academic side, from the you know mentorship side, um, to be yeah. sort of available as a as a guide down what seems like a, a challenging path, but uh, but actually not a unique one for, you know, and, yeah. and there's a well-established tradition of, of physicians and medical researchers yep. developing things that people actually need because we yep. are the ones who know yeah, it's, what I mean, people need. I mean, it's eating an elephant. It, yeah. I mean, it's bite by bite. And, yeah. and uh, so, so what you need to do is to uh, just follow good pro- project management practices, which you don't learn as an academic, and you probably shouldn't learn as an academic because, you know, most academics are, are have multiple projects going at once they have multiple grants they have multiple students and and nothing and usually they're not all focused on a task i was lucky in that you know i found a couple of i think really big problems to solve 
And when I was an academic, I could, I did start to learn some project management tasks and focus various students on various aspects of the problem, all, all going towards a solution at the end. And so academics who engage with industry are forced to learn better project management than, than a university would normally have. And that is a skill that is useful sometimes if you want to get something done. Definitely something I'm looking forward to improving. <laughs> So I juggle a thousand balls, which I think is like that. That's the problem. For yes, us, the problem. Right? It's, that's it's the problem. How do we? We've got a million balls in the air, and we have to mm-hmm. take care of patients first, and we've mm-hmm. got a lot of administrative responsibilities. And but your your point is, you know, you don't have to do it all yourself, right? You can right. bring you bring in experienced business people who can right. have this one chunk of your life yeah. be their whole. Yeah, we've purpose. had. Yeah, exactly. We've had people, physicians, come in and say, "I'm just too busy." Uh, I've got a great idea. In fact, even, even, they've even come in with, they've gone to trouble getting a patent. And they said, but you know, I, I don't, I'm not interested in starting a company. I know it won't, can't be licensed yet. It's too early. Uh, I think a company should, should, should be formed, but I really don't want to have anything to do with it. So uh, other than maybe some, some uh, technical assistance mm-hmm. or scientific advice, then we have to see, well, you know, can we form a team around this? What are the steps that we need, would need to do? And so we'll be hiring some uh, we call innovation commercialization specialists that have had small company experience, and mm. and so we'll have a small staff that will be able to um, to vet these projects. We'll also put it to an investment committee, so we won't make the decisions ourselves. We'll an investment committee will be um, other academic on, entrepreneurs, outside entrepreneurs, outside investors, as well as people from med school and and the board of, of UW Health. So people that are, are interested in innovation, commercialization. Fantastic. This is just such an interesting and fascinating world that, you know, I think we are all in medicine are sort of intrigued by, but, you know, I, I certainly know a lot more about it for having had the opportunity to speak with you. And, and um, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Thanks for coming out of retirement for uh, for all of us uh, still in the thank trenches. You. And um, well, it's been, I mean, so far it's just been a pleasure. So, um, I, I, uh, I'm not trying to, to go away too quickly, but uh, at some point I will have to do another retirement. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. My guest next time on The Surgery Set is Dr. Courtney Morgan. She's an assistant professor with our own Division of Vascular Surgery. Dr. Morgan gave a Grand Rounds talk on atypical claudication in athletes. She's an athlete herself, having just completed her sixth Ironman competition. We talk about how being an elite athlete attracted her to surgery as a profession. See you then. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at WiscSurgery, and I'm at J-E Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. 
please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. Oh, Wisconsin.